Well, this morning I got my groceries delivered because why not? I'm lazy and I can have them delivered to my door, which then made me think about the question of what's everybody's favorite, currently favorite, at-home meal? As I thought of that question, I then went, hmm, that's a great question. But I did make a very good sweet potato and wild rice kind of salad mixture that I said I was going to keep for three meals and then ate all in one day. So nice. there's that. Nice. <laughs> what about you, Todd? Uh, I would say, it, in case anybody's curious at the timeline, we're, we're coming into spring here at the time of this recording, and I am all about summer. So my current go-to is chicken piccata from Ina Garten. Do you drink that with a little bit of wine and wear your scarf while you cook? Of course. <laughs> no other way to do it. I love it. What about you, Anne? I, as as Todd mentioned, the the spring into summer, I anything that comes off the grill right now, I that's just it was it was broccoli cauliflower and chicken thighs this weekend, and uh, on repeat, like <laughs> it tastes so good and so like it should be way warmer than it is. But that just sounds delicious. I had the exact same thought that I was like, I got to eat the grill out because, yep, got cauliflowers in the grocery. Love it. Going to steal that. What about you, Matthew? So mine's not uh, like related to the season uh, because I will eat this whenever and request it whenever. But uh, my partner is a wonderful cook and uh, makes a lasagna that changes my day every time I know it's gonna <laughs> come up so <laughs> the lasagna every time um but there's so many to think of like this wonderful like uh sun-dried tomato pasta that they make as well that is yeah but so I'm gonna go with lasagna as the the top and because yeah. it's almost always on my mind like even when I'm just thinking about other things I'll get distracted thinking about that lasagna it's the life-changing lasagna and now yeah. Even though I'm dairy-free, I kind of really want lasagna. So thank you for that. What about you, Ariel? Oh, when you said grill out, I was like, that's got to be it. You know, like traditional brats, burgers, mostly because I don't grill. So my husband does that. And so I get to sit back. I can enjoy someone else making food for me. That's the best. I love it. That's the life. Yeah. Going, food always tastes better when somebody else makes it for you. Yes. That would be like the overarching, this, yeah. everything coming from the grill, I did not make. So it tastes all the better. <laughs> I love that. Which in a completely unrelated topic of what are we talking about today? We're talking about HIPAA. And can you afford a $10,000 HIPAA fine? So we're sitting down today with myself, Kelsey and Ariel as part of the marketing team here to moderate. And then we have Todd, our COO and CISO, Matthew and Anne, who are both GRC analysts over in our security department. And we're putting it off to them to start it off with, what is HIPAA? What is it? We may never know. Uh, No, (laughs) it is an acronym. (laughs) It is yet another acronym, which is why I'm here, because if we weren't talking about acronyms, then I wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So HIPAA is all about the healthcare information. Uh, I've forgotten. It's not not protection, is it? It's uh, a portability portability. uh, act. (laughs) 
<laughs> Portability and Accessibility Act. Accountability um, Act. Accountability. Oh, look at that. This is what I get for not memorizing it, just memorizing the acronym. Um, you guys have heard it about it a lot. Uh, everyone has heard it. Uh, the spelling of it sometimes gets a little bit confused. It is H-I-P-A-A as our yeah. or my messing up of the uh, <laughs> acronym just then worked. Um, the short version is it's about protecting and securing healthcare records, uh, physical and digital, and ensuring that that information is stored and accessible at the same time. You can't just lock it away in a vault and never look at it again. If someone requests it, it needs to be available and you need to secure it the whole way through that chain from start to finish. That's the short version, I suppose. <laughs> Did I miss anything apart from the acronym? Um, I mean, I think you nailed it pretty well. It does largely impact the healthcare industry specifically. Um, you will see it in some other cases too. I mean, if you look at any kind of, it's specific for health information is really what it's designed to help with. But most organizations do have some sort of compliance with it because most most organizations will do HR. And if you're handling the HR, you're going to have identifiable information that is going to be very very heavily protected so um it is something that you're going to see across the board um as matthew said when you get to the acronym most people i think spell it h-i-p-p-a instead of a-a um why well, don't know uh we'll dig into this a like little bit hippo. that's what right. i yeah. think <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it right as you're typing it you might as well just go with hippo and replace the o um <laughs> we can probably dig into this a little bit deeper as to what that compliance looks like um but i'll i'll let ann chime in briefly before we dig into the weeds oh really, really it, briefly. it's for for covered entities and their business associates Primarily, that doesn't mean or excuse everybody else from taking protection measures, but a covered entity is is one that would have process generate a a record. A business associate is someone like CIT, where we have collateral access to the records, maybe not direct, and managing those relationships and how that information is access stored transmitted appropriately yep and there's a, a lot of ways to do it if you are storing uh electronic health data if you're storing pii and you're unsure it's a, a great basis for for ensuring the safety of that data um even if it's not even related to healthcare information if you just want to ensure your data the data you're storing about customers anything is safe it's a great baseline for it awesome so we right kind of covered what is hipaa what does it look like right we have the lovely clickbait title of can you afford ten thousand dollars in hipaa fines what is a violation of hipaa then so violations of hipaa are ways in which it's being knowingly or with malicious intent or not <laughs> broken or ignored. Um, the, the federal government made it very clear that, that health information is protected. That's where the, uh, the HIPAA idea comes from. And so to ensure the safety of that data, I think it was back in 1996, they, realizing that computers weren't a fad that were going away, created this to ensure as much of that data is stored safely as possible. 
back then we obviously didn't have as much power or, or as much of the things that we can do with them now, but they were still aware of what was happening and how much of it was being digitized. So the goal was to create a system and ensure everyone and, and healthcare providers, hospitals, et cetera, were following a pattern that kept that data safe, no matter what type of computer they were using, no matter how often they were using it, what they were using it for. The, com the computerization of that information was what was being protected. Now, they included a lot of stuff about physical information. They, they did expand it, but that was the basis of it. So violations come from intentional or malicious as well as unintentional or non-malicious, <laughs> non yeah, um, violations of that act, whether they are from a from not getting to something in time, you know, something wasn't prioritized and that was the thing that happened uh, that that went wrong. It's it's about was that data inaccessible? Was it um uh was it stolen? Was it impacted by a ransomware event? These are the types of things that can occur. Um violations come from knowingly for the most part, knowingly choosing not to do something about a fault that you know exists or choosing to try and be ignorant of those faults in the first place which is the big one <laughs> yeah I, I i smiled when matthew said that uh, there is a little bit of a phrasing out there that says ignorance is no excuse when it comes to compliance and that's it's 100 percent true you can't go into a situation where you say well i didn't know it doesn't matter. If you are in a compliance industry, you are required to know. Somebody within your organization does need to know the rules, the guidelines, the compliance, et cetera. Um, I'll try not to tangent into that too far just because I, nope. I naturally do. I, I, I go, There's always help out there, right? There's always help. If you need help, find the help. But if you don't know what those are, you're going to either have to get yourself up to speed or find somebody that can help you get there. Even at a basic level. Right. Yeah. It's not it, there's no expectation that you would be the person applying permissions or regulating keys if it's in the physical set, something like that. But knowing what and how is is always key it, to to add on. Ignorance is not bliss at all. <laughs> like yeah. it, You can't put your head in the sand and be like, oh, my gosh, look at this. Look what I found let's let's put this here <laughs> like, <laughs> i i say that with all the the just intended but it it really is is pretty serious um the i'm not quite to the there's a lot of different variables associated with the the fines of of willful or or unintentional negligence <laughs> i guess yeah but they are significant and uh, in in no way do they look at uh well i really didn't try but you didn't try not to either <laughs> yeah so, it's so, like parenting so, things come back full circle to to parenting in my station in life right now so well you didn't try not to hit your brother either it's it's kind of did you try to protect it no i didn't know i had to but you didn't try not to <laughs> yeah Exactly. Um, there's a, a those of you who've listened to our FTC podcast uh, know about the qualified individual that's really pushed through heavily in that. And that comes through with HIPAA as well, because there's a HIPAA privacy officer. And that person is 
they're, they're in charge or they're the data owner effectively for those EPHI locations. So the electronic uh, personal health information, um, knowing where that information is, knowing what it looks like, making sure they're aware of what the HIPAA rules are. That's what it comes down to. You should have one, you should define one, and that person should be making sure at all times that they're thinking about this and keeping track of it, like I am with lasagna. <laughs> so, can you expand on the, the difference between data owner and data custodian for those that don't know? No. No? no. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, yeah, I can. I, I just thought it was kind of pertinent. You, you used it, so I thought it just to make sure that it kind of expanded on it, whatever it is. So typically the way it looks like in most organizations is an oversimplification is the people that are in charge of it, they essentially become the owner. So in a lot of organizations, if you're looking at HIPAA data specifically, most people are going to turn their heads and look at HR and they're going to go, you're the ones that are in charge of that kind of information from a benefits perspective. Um, the custodian would be the person or persons that are in charge of making sure that they do the right stuff with the data. So, for example, um, it was mentioned that the data needs to be encrypted. So there would be somebody in a security team potentially that would go, all right, we're going to review all of the, the sensitive records and we're going to make sure the, the appropriate security controls are in place. So we're going to review and make sure that the drives are encrypted. We're going to make sure that the access is correct. Um, and again, kind of differentiating between the two, the owner is the one that defines wh what that access looks like. They're the ones that say, Matthew can have access to that and cannot. And then the custodian applies those security controls to it. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you too much, but I did kind of want to ask if you could kind of expand on that that individual that you kind of highlighted too and, and kind of go, who is that and what additional responsibilities do they have? To exactly. add on to that, I think that that data owner, if you will, is not necessarily a, a lot of people think that's the individual whose whose information it is. While that might be part of it, it is not entirely the the scope of what that definition hits. Yeah. And to uh, to tie in uh, with what Todd said at a previous organization, I worked as the data custodian. We had our um HR was the data owner, our head of HR. And so basically as part of the custodian, pulling the um, admin information to confirm who had access, check all that information, then refer that back. And again, this is a lot of technical information sometimes, converting that into language that's not just, here's a, uh, a read-write, um, read-edit, output from a NTFS record for you to read through and explaining what it actually means, who actually is in there, what they can and cannot do. That's kind of that custodian's job in this case to ensure that it's fully understood by that privacy officer or the data owner um, what is happening and what it looks like contextually within the organization. Um, if it is a smaller organization and you do have someone who is technical, they may be the same person. You know, it's contextualized around the size of your organization but do keep that in mind that there is segmenting that gives you two people who are reviewing things less things that are going to be missed more things may be caught that that otherwise wouldn't be um do try and segment those roles when possible yeah um one thing i want to mention on this as well is that it's not just cybersecurity issues that get violations and fines um 
a lot of the times when people hear about it, they hear about, you know, such and such got hit with ransomware and didn't report it. Um, not reporting a breach uh, when you've had one uh, within 30 days <laughs> is a big deal with HIPAA. Um, and it will it will get you fines. Uh, but that's not the only thing that'll get you fines. Um, employees reading uh, healthcare records that they don't have any right to view that aren't related to patients they see is a big one. Um, a failure to encrypt your data, uh, which Todd mentioned previously. Um, not disposing of data correctly, physical or digital data. Um, organizations have been fined for going out of business, not destroying their data correctly, and therefore having patient data that hasn't been destroyed they've been a fined additionally <laughs> after they've gone out of business for that. Um, this also includes um, civil and criminal uh, fines and, and, vi and types of violations. So it's not just being fined by the government. It can be by the individuals who are impacted, uh, individuals requesting access to their data and you not being able to provide it within a timely manner. Um, timely matter in quotes here because I believe that's their actual language, uh, is a violation of HIPAA and you can and will be fined for it if a if a patient is requesting this information and you can't provide it. Why do, why can't you provide it? Is is Was it lost? How was it lost? What were you failing to do to that data to keep a copy safe? Um, there's a lot of options. Is anything come to mind for anyone else? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're on the right track. I, there's a lot of stuff that goes in with it. I, one of the things that you mentioned, too, is this isn't always a security or a technical thing that goes into it. Um, when it comes to data retention, there are policies that are required for organizations that are compliant with HIPAA, and it, it specifies what data you need to have and how long you need to keep records of it. So when you get into uh, destroying it, the data correctly as well, that also is part of that life cycle, and it, it includes making sure that you don't hang on to it too long. Most people tend to... to Error on the side of, well, I'll just keep it. Well, the downside of keeping it is that you've increased your exposure. So if you have a policy that says you need to destroy it within 12 years, you better get rid of it. Um, but I think more often than not, what we typically see is, is a lot of people don't retain the data as long as they're supposed to, and that can be problematic as well. Uh, earlier, somebody had mentioned that there are a variety of different penalties and um, a, a minor correction. Kelsey had mentioned uh, $10,000 fines for HIPAA, and HIPAA actually has a variety of different tiers, and it can scale up dramatically, and, and um, it's, it's you know, up to about $100,000 per month that somebody could be fined with it. And while there are ranges within the tier, and, and I'll let Anne and or Matthew expand on this, you can have multiple tiers impact you simultaneously, so you may not just get hit with a singular fine. Um, but can either one of you or would either one of you kind of run through the tiers so everybody has an understanding of what that looks like? Well, it I would say not even the tiers, but it is very often on a per record basis. And yeah. keep in mind that while HHS does <coughs> want to know about all breaches, they don't typically get involved unless it's, is it over 250 or 500? And then if they are, and that that is exponential, that's 500 records times that fine until remediation or resolution has occurred. Exactly. So 
it's it a hundred thousand on our on our title is is a nice gateway line in the sand. Um, it can just go so wrong so fast, and yeah. your I guess this would be the the conclusion part of this is if you were to be in the middle of this, you want to find resolution to this <laughs> as quickly as humanly possible because it will be costly to you. <clears throat> yeah. Not not just monetarily in fines, it also reputationally that that might be a unrecover unrecoverable business incident to your reputation. Most definitely. Um completely agree. <laughs> and we've seen it there's there's definitely uh places I haven't gone because I've I've followed this list and I've seen maybe multiple complaints come up or or something like that. Um, from the the tier list and and breaking down what Anne was talking about with, with where they come from, um, I'm not a lawyer, uh, so there's some things in here I want to uh, something I want to cover really quickly because this is the only way I can think about this, and it's called mens rea, and basically it's the intent behind the action. So was someone aware mentally of what they were doing and with intent? Um, we we discussed this uh, right at the very start about whether ignorance is not an excuse, right? Um, so if you said, I'm not going to worry about HIPAA as a medical practice, we're just going to do what we do, that would put you, uh, the, the system is based and the tiers are based on how much of your intent was based around HIPAA. And so if you're saying right out the gate as a leader of a company, I'm not going to worry about HIPAA. I just want to start um, getting everyone working and making money. That is you ignoring HIPAA. And that has malicious intent for the fine system here. Um, so the three tier, uh, the four tiers, sorry, are based around that. So were you making reasonable efforts and just hadn't gotten to something yet? Do you have a full team in place? Maybe you've done a full risk assessment and you're getting through your list of of items, your your plan of action, and you get hit with ransomware that got in through something that was lower on your list than you're already at. That would count as you guys doing a reasonable action, doing everything you can, and just you you weren't you misprioritized, right? It was it was you put in as much effort as you could. Um, the second tier is a lack of oversight in which you're basically not doing all of those items that you could. Maybe you didn't do a risk assessment. You were just kind of getting to things as they came up. Um, and that one's the fine numbers increase exponentially there. In tier one, the minimum violation cost is $127. Uh, when you get to lack of oversight or that tier two, it's $1,280. Uh, so about 10 times <laughs> what the one before is. And tier three and tier four um, tie in with what Anne said. So tier three and tier four are malicious non-compliance. So you've intentionally said that doesn't matter. You've ignored some part of it, whether it's encryption at rest because um, you don't have a system that can do it and you decided you didn't want to upgrade the hardware or <clears throat> you're intentionally sending patient information in an unencrypted way. Uh, those are examples we or I have seen. Um, and the difference between tier three and tier four is how quickly you rectified the issue. Were you able to resolve it, like Anne said, within 30 days, or did you keep it going for more than 30 days? And this is where the fines really start to rack up because there are 
people on the Wall of Shame, uh, which we will be posting in the podcast links, um, which is a link to all the organizations who have been fined um, and have had violations that are paying millions of dollars in fines because it took them two, three plus years to resolve an issue. So the minimum penalty for a tier four violation is $63,000. The minimum for a tier three is 12,000. What was that in? For one. Yeah, for one, right. exactly. For for one um, uh, record that is impacted by this. Um, and so those fines grow exponentially. Uh, my favorite part about tier four is that the minimum and maximum violation is the same penalty. Uh, they have basically said, we will be charging you $63,000 per violation after that 30-day mark. Um, so there like is I a cap said, on that, though. The bright side is there is a cap. There, you get capped out at about $2 million per year. Exactly. Um, so anytime it is more than $2 million, you know that this organization has had this issue going for more than one year, <laughs> which in its own right on the wall of shame is great to see because you can see how long it took someone to resolve something past that initial 30 days. Um, so again, it's those tier systems are based on intentional and active awareness of HIPAA and whether or not you're intentionally doing anything to try and work on your system to better where you currently stand. Uh, and choosing not to do anything because it's quote unquote too much is gonna give you fines big fines um don't do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's a couple of things i wanted to throw on that real briefly is I, I i think the the wall of shame is is a really important thing and i know it could potentially have this negative connotation that makes it seem like it's it's a a, a fear inducing thing but and hit on it right there are things that sometimes can be more than just monetary there that is a reputational hit that is a major problem you're not only being hit with a fine, but somebody's posting it and that somebody is the U.S. government <laughs> is saying how bad you screwed up. And so it's it's completely available. You All you have to do is Google HIPAA wall of shame and it'll be the top hit on there. So it's it's incredibly easy to find. And then it's got all the information that Matthew mentioned on it. Um, when he mentioned the risk assessment piece, uh, there used to be well, I want to back up briefly. There used to be the saying that HIPAA had no teeth. HIPAA really wasn't something that was heavily enforced. Go look at the wall of shame. There's a lot of people that will tell you that is absolutely incorrect. HIPAA has teeth. HIPAA hurts. And it can yep. put the people out of business. So it's a big deal. Um, that risk assessment that Matthew had mentioned is important, right? So what you're looking at is what is the risk to the business? And, and easily we can quantify this by the amount that it would cost too. So as you're looking at it and you're saying, well, that potentially is a high risk, what is the impact on it? And we can look at impact in this particular scenario on the cost, right? And if I can say that the risk of not encrypting data that I'm going to send across the wire is potentially up to $2 million per year, I know what I can put in place to mitigate that and still save myself hundreds of thousands of dollars and do the right thing, if you will. Um, so that's kind of what you should be thinking about as you're going, what is the risk to me? What is the impact? What's the likeliness? And what is the the cost that it's going to be if something like that does happen? And then you can figure out whether you should start to put in a tool, a, a policy, a procedure, whatever the case may be. I know I jumped ahead a little bit there on what are the <laughs> next steps, but I just kind of really wanted to emphasize that this is no joke. This is incredibly important for organizations that fall under this compliancy. 
I may have been misremembering this, but I think the the title of this uh, podcast is something I actually said in either a different podcast or in a conversation with Anne um, in relation to a organization saying, um, and this was a hypothetical saying, um, they didn't want to pay for a new employee, right? Do you, you you don't want to have a new employee. You think you've got the team you need. You know IT people internally are expensive and, and outsourcing can be expensive as well. Okay, well, $100,000 in fines a month, up to $2 million a year. Is that less <laughs> than the cost of hiring the staff you need to complete the work and get your HIPAA um, compliance on track? Is that what you have? Um, and that ties in with what Todd was talking about because – well, now that we know what these fines are and what the violations look like, what can we do? Um, well, firstly, you need a HIPAA booklet. And yep. as soon as you start putting that together, you're going to see that right at the top of that list is a risk assessment. Um, having a risk assessment, finding the things that are high risk, ha- ensuring you have the right team in place to begin working on it, and then getting that um, HIPAA booklet together and training your team on what the system education education. exactly (laughs) (laughs) um the if you've listened to uh, one of our most recent podcasts you'll know that um probably going to get this number wrong because it's off the top of my head um 80 percent of all uh, uh security incidents are still caused by individuals um whether it's malicious or non malicious doing something that they think is fine right if we go with the non-malicious they're they're clicking on a link in an email they're falling for phishing they're they're doing things unintentionally that cause a problem now that is a training issue and the hippo compliance booklet and and the risk assessments let you find out where these flaws are and do their testing it is a knowledge base um so me talking about policy and documentation again surprise uh but (laughs) it's what it comes down to if you have that documentation if the team is trained on it if the leadership is trained on it you will mitigate your risk significantly um and therefore mitigate those those fines because having them in place being aware of them and working on them can drop you from a tier three to a tier two being so aware of what you plan to do. And and just as an example, a medical clinic I know who was working on moving to a new uh, service system um, had an outage uh, because of it. We'd already purchased, and this is at a, a previous employee, uh, we'd already purchased the hardware. They had their outage. We pushed that uh, migration up. Um, replaced their old servers with the new servers, got everything spun up. They were down for about seven to eight hours, I think, in the end, rather than the close to three or four days it probably would have been for us to get the replacement hardware in um, or their old systems. Um, That alone resolves an issue for them quicker than it would have been because they were prepared for something, even if we had to push that timeline up. Um, Those are the things that can keep you under a... 30-day neglect tier. (laughs) It's being prepared is going to make it that you're ready for this. Maybe you've quoted out how much it's going to be. Maybe you've got it in your budget and it's just pushing it up earlier. Uh, The less surprises there are in your regular working week, uh, the less there's going to be when something breaks that as well. 
That's wonderful. I kind of sprang think, through that yeah. last part. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just watching Todd and Anne here going, anything else to add to it? Because I was like, I understood it. I think it's fine. But anything else, Todd or Anne, before we wrap up? Um, the the one thing that I would add is <clears throat> kind of re rehashing some of the stuff we already said. Um, in case it wasn't clear, the HIPAA guidelines are for everybody. You can be a Fortune five company or you can be a chiropractor down the street. You're still under the same regulation. So when we talked about that aspect of ignorance is not an excuse, this is what it's getting into. When you don't have the expertise and you open up that that HIPAA booklet and you're working through it and you go, Well, I don't have the slightest idea what that means that's too bad. You're still held by that compliance. So you're going to have to find somebody that can help you through that. And there are, as I mentioned at the very beginning, there are people out there that do it. Obviously we do, um, but there are plenty of people out there. Find the help when you need it because it is really important and are things to do. There, it's, it's risk that's easily mitigated at a pretty inexpensive cost. So I uh, just kind of wanted to wrap the entire conversation around that with that little bit of information. Agreed. Perfect. I was going to say, for those people listening, there's a lot of smiling and nodding going on in the background of, mm, yes, but 100%. As Todd mentioned, we're here to help, even if you're not listening somewhere near us here in Minnesota. If you're somewhere else and you're going, hey, I still want to get connected with somebody, you can still reach out to us at info at cit-net.com. Even if we can't help you, we can certainly get you connected to somebody else who can. Or if you just want to talk with one of these people, as you can tell, we love to talk. We will talk anytime. Or you can, of course, put a question into our website at cit-net.com backslash podcast. But as always, thank you, Todd. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Anne. And thank you, Ariel, for sitting with us. And we will be back next week with yet another episode. 